Welcome to Queer Icons, where we cover and discuss an important figure to the LGBT plus community and talk about why uh, they resonate with the queer community. This is Matthew. And I'm Nico. Welcome, everyone. Yes, I'm glad we're, you're joining us for another week. So this week we are covering George Takai of Star Trek fame. And I thought it would be cool to talk about some sci-fi shows or movies that that inspired us as children or as young adults. Mm-hmm. I um, still consider myself a young adult. So I actually did not watch too much sci-fi as a child or as a younger person. My parents watched a little bit of Star Trek. I remember Whoopi Goldberg being in Star Trek, and that's like the most memorable thing to me. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And then the other show that was um, big for a couple years when I was a kid and, and we did watch every week was Sliders. And it was this ridiculous show where they like jumped from world to world and they were trying to find their home world again because they somehow messed it up. And so just the adventures and craziness they get to on what our world would be like, because they were all very close resemblances usually to our world. So like, what if women were in charge and some sort like that? And what if the lottery was really like a lottery to die? So basically as a, as population control, stuff like that. Wonderful, grim scenario. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So they hit on like interesting topics. However, they never really covered them that well. So like, you know, like, is population control needed and stuff like that? They never like fully covered it. They more covered it in a very Hollywood way and just for the entertainment value and not for the actual discussion. But it was a ridiculous, campy show if you want to watch it. (laughs) Well, I just looked it up because when you mentioned it last night for the first time, I had never heard of it. And uh, yeah, I recognize a couple of actors in it. Yeah. Um, Definitely going to try and see if there's any episodes on YouTube and check Check it out. Because the premise does sound entertaining. I want to say it's on Hulu or something oh, it's now. I think it's oh, streaming that's, that's somewhere. Okay. I can't remember what. Because I watched it a few years. I like tried to rewatch it a few years ago. And and eventually, I know the first few seasons were on like a main cable network. Mm-hmm. And then later, it went to sci-fi for the last like two or three seasons. I can't remember. Yeah. But that is, that's my story of sci-fi <laughs> television. How about you? I don't know. I, I grew up in Greece with a lot of sci-fi TV shows, especially the cartoons around me. But I think the character that resonated most with me was Ellen Ripley from the Alien franchise, which was created by Ridley Scott, who's an incredible director. And Sigourney Weaver, who, who played Ellen Ripley, you know, she was like this strong, independent brave woman who what I was very attracted to was like she was logical (laughs) and I liked that a lot I I could relate with that even as because I watched those movies maybe a little bit too young Uh but I did love horror movies and scary movies and and stuff and I, I, I did like you know oh my god this character does make sense and obviously that's why they keep surviving to live but yeah she was also like you know, nurturing and protective, but yet she was a fighter and a badass and and kind of overcame the trope of being like a damsel in distress because she was able to fight back and be like inventive and uh, against, you know, the aliens that were trying to kill her. Um, 
uh, her crew. He was dating somebody for a short time, and he made me watch one of the most recent ones. One of the most recent aliens. Yeah, still not my thing. <laughs> I would say the first two are great. Then the the other two, Alien 3 and 4 Resurrection, I do enjoy them. They do have merits, but they're a little, I don't know, concept-wise, I wasn't very, very sold. Sigourney Weaver still is incredible in both of them, but definitely Alien 1 and Aliens, which is the second movie, are a must for sci-fi. I do do recommend them. Definitely. And then I think my favorite, though, sci-fi film is The Fifth Element by Luc Besson. Super 90s. It has a lot of artistry behind it. That's why I was attracted to it. A lot of uh, cool special effects and costumes, very colorful characters. And it had a lot of, like, inventive and fun action scenes. Chris Tucker played this larger-than-life flamboyant talk show host called Ruby Rod. <laughs> and he, he was everything. He he wore this, like, uh, leopard print one-piece outfit, I remember. And... He had the hair that looked the, like the a noodle. The hairdo that was like a noodle. <laughs> it was... I don't know. It was probably... My favorite character he, he he ever played. It was so entertaining, so much fun. And it was a good movie that combined like humor and action. Because Bruce Willis is, is actually pretty good in comedy as well, even though like the nineties were like his action star peak. And Mila Jovovich, of course, was in it as yeah. the main character and she was incredible. And yeah, just I, I just love that movie. And of course it has that iconic you know, opera diva scene with a blue alien. Yes, of course. Um, Which have you seen a drag queen perform that? Yes. Okay, so I actually, <laughs> I'm like, I feel like every I've got, gay man has seen a drag queen <laughs> perform that opera. Uh, yes, number. I, I've seen many people actually try and replicate it. Uh, it's just fascinating. So it definitely carved, you know, a corner in, uh, you know, pop culture. For right. Sure. Just for that scene. You may not remember much about the movie, but you do know that opera scene, you know. And then more recently, the TV show that I absolutely adored was Sense8 by Alana and Lily Wachowski. They created The Matrix, actually. Yeah, so I, I think it was a very good transition to yet another sci-fi concept. And what, what attracted me the most was how it it was it had a lot of representation and it, it was all these like characters from all over the world fighting the patriarchy and just trumping heteronormative lifestyles like this is not just the only normal thing how you can live and it brought like world cultures together and different ideologies and they had to they were kind of stuck with each other whether they liked it or not i'm not going to spoil too much but they work together kind of to yeah. give everyone a better future. And it was it was two seasons and a movie. I think it concluded pretty well. I, of course, wanted more. Highly recommended. It's it's a very interesting, cool concept. It was definitely a very cool concept and different concept. And, mm -hmm. of course, the orgy scene is, is everything. That's, that's <laughs> where you went. <laughs> but <laughs> I thought the first season was, was very well done. However, I felt like with the they did a movie in between, and then the second season, the storyline got very muddled and, like, too confusing. Well, I think they had to kind of rush concluding it. 
Yeah. But still, it, 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 it was, I think it was wrapped up. Okay. Right. And they did very well. And they actually shot everybody's scenes, like, in the different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So they didn't, like, shoot everything in America and then pretend. It was, yeah. like, they literally traveled everybody. So I thought that was a very cool way to for them to shoot and film that series. Although I think that's probably what contributed to the cancellation. Yes, because, because it was, it was so, expensive. so expensive to film. Yeah. Uh, but I really like that representation of different cultures. Yes. And, well, actually, I don't want to spoil too much. Just just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> just watch it. It's very inclusive. It's a good one. This week, we are covering George Takai, which, as I said earlier, I think everybody knows mostly from Star Trek. And we're going to start with Nico giving some background. You know what? We're going to cancel that. <laughs> Lord, well, that'll be cut. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> oh, wait, what is he doing? Okay. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about someone. <laughs> oh, Lord, and I just looked someone up. <laughs> All right, so this week, Nico, do you have any personal icons? My personal icon for the week is the singer Brian Justin Crumb. He released a new album called Diva, where he covers and rearranges popular and iconic female diva songs with his unique and powerful voice. And I really liked it because it shows that men can cover and, and, you know, project that feminine energy from within them. You know, songs are like from Britney to Whitney and... I have been playing this album all week and singing along to the songs. I know. You mentioned it earlier this week, and I've been wanting to look it up. I need mm -hmm. to look it up today while I'm driving. Yeah, I think it's very brave that, you know, he can tackle his signature songs because these female artists are very closely associated with these songs. And, and it's hard to perform them, put your own twist on them. And I think he does, like, a very good job. I've listened to some of his original material, which is also great. Definitely his more known uh, for his cover work. But I think with like, you know, when someone has such a tremendously good and powerful voice, whatever they can, they can sing like the phone book. I know the younger generations won't know what that is, but it will still sound good. And I think he's one, one of these people. I'd, I don't know. I really do enjoy the, the, the different twists in it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Because like a lot of these women are definitely gay icons or iconic in general and then just tackling them was such a big undertaking definitely so yeah yeah i love that he like definitely did all the divas it sounds fun mm -hmm. to listen to and i remember great to sing along the phone to. book would get delivered <laughs> once a year to your doorstep without you asking for it <laughs> Just yeah. arrived. It just arrived. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then it was probably used as a door stopper or something. I don't know. We kept it in the drawer, I think, somewhere, just in case. I remember. I yeah, we, we did have a phone book, too, somewhere. Right. Somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. That's how you ordered pizza. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, we have pamphlets. Oh, okay. Pizza. Yeah, the, 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 like <laughs> advertising stuff that they would bring. Phone charge. 
Our queer icon this week is the phone book. So, Matthew, what about your queer icon? So, I was just reading today or earlier that Netflix is going to have a gay-centered romantic comedy for the holidays. Ooh. So, you know, terrible holiday movie. Um, <laughs> it's going to be called Single All the Way. And I'm kind of loving that even the gays are getting these, like, terrible holiday movies. This one includes Jennifer Jennifer Coolidge, which, I mean, of course it does. So just cheers to us being able to, like, to get together with our friends and feel included in one of these most entertaining but terrible holiday traditions. <laughs> I'm assuming you're not a fan of Hollywood <laughs> holiday movies, holiday romantic films. <laughs> I mean, they're always ridiculous. And so someone moves from the city to the town and falls in love with the innkeeper that gave up all his riches or some shit I, like that. And I, then, I do um, think that a lot of the plot would be solved <laughs> if people communicated better yes. with each other. But then there wouldn't be a movie. I don't know. <laughs> and then they have to find the true holiday spirit in every single one. What was they, you know what, but they did that last year with a holiday movie that featured a lesbian couple. Yes, now I can't remember what it was called. I cannot remember. Um, but it had the girl from Twilight was the lead character. Yeah, Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart, yep, and the guy from Schitt's Creek. Dan Levy. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> just prompting but both of those people were in it I, I thought it had potential and, uh, oh I was so mad at it but because well, I didn't like one of the main characters yeah I don't care I'm, I'll give away a Christmas movie I don't care oh okay the other the other girl in the, the lesbian relationship interest. was ter- I mean she was closeted and we all and and situations came up which have come up for all of us when we work however when you are out and you get treated in such a way by someone who is closeted it, i would i would 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 withdraw and it all just got wrapped up too nicely in a bow too quickly and i would not have been able to deal with that other girl at all i would have left on night one yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't even have accepted. I would have figured out. I, a way. That's why I'm saying oh, like communication is key, and yeah, she was not a likable character, and I really wanted yeah. Kristen Stewart to find like I don't know love with someone else, love with someone else, because there was another romantic in- interest in it of sorts, yeah. of sorts. Then I was rooting for them. Yeah, and I mean that's I think that dredged up a lot of feelings for mm-hmm. a lot of us. It, like negatively and so in a negative impact way and so i hope that this movie is a little bit more at least it has jennifer Coolidge candy right she's she's <laughs> awesome at everything so yes i mean of course hopefully it won't be that predictable well, oh, it will be predictable. It's a holiday movie. There's <laughs> nothing but predictable. I will I will hate it if it's actually a good movie. I will, it, it will. Because it will prove you wrong. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any favorite holiday movies at all? Oh my gosh. No, I watched, there's one that I've watched like more than once for who knows why, but it's called The Snow Globe. And it has Christina Milian as the lead character. Mm -hmm. And she travels back and forth from, like, the real world into a snow globe. And, yep, that's that's the premise of the movie. And, of course, falls in love with someone in the snow globe. Oh, I see. Okay. And then there's actually a second one, but I can't remember if I've watched it or not. I don't know. It wasn't as memorable. Um, 
What about you? I would say probably Scrooged with Bill, Bill Murray. Uh, I mean, if we're going with like serious movies, I mean, there's always... It's not a serious movie. It's a dark... Scrooge is a very good one. I like that one. Comedy holiday yes. movie. But it's not, it's not like the cotton candy like rom-com. Um, oh, that's... So uh, no, that's what I meant. Generic holiday. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, Santa Claus is very the original, like the first one. Okay. The other two suck. They like continue to get worse. Is that with Tim Allen? Yes, with Tim Allen. So yeah, the first one, good. And then, of course, Home Alone. Okay, yeah, Home Alone is <laughs> incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Both the, the the both of them. I really like yeah. the New York one as well. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna move on, <laughs> and we're gonna cover our icon of the week, which is George Takei. As I mentioned, most of you probably know him from Star Trek, but he has done much work since then. And we're gonna let Nico cover the life and times of George Takei. Yeah. So, uh, George K. was born on April 20th, uh, 1937, in Los Angeles, California. And in 1942, after the Imperial Japanese Navy attacked Pearl Harbor, the U.S. government decided to round up Japanese Americans in internment camps, which included the then five-year-old George and his family. It was a grim time in America with widespread anti-Japanese sentiment and prejudice. So I do encourage our listeners to look up this not-so-publicized area in American history. Takei has uh, devoted his life in speeches and interviews to bring up and address this shameful part of our history. And uh, it is quite prevalent today with the anti-Asian sentiment and crimes uh, against Asian Americans that are sweeping the nation. So, you know, if we don't learn from uh, history, we are bound to repeat it. I got really, you know, emotional in my research when I was just listening to his interviews and, and his talks about it. It is heartbreaking, upsetting. It, it made me angry. I don't want to uh, talk too much about it, but I do implore our listeners to look up those speeches because... It would be better to receive this information from like a first hand, uh, a, a person that like lived through it, yeah, and experienced it, and then his take on it and how uh, I like how he concludes his speeches. Like I'm not going to spoil anything, but absolutely do do like your 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 own research on uh, the issue. So the Takei family, like all other incarcerated Japanese Americans were freed after the end of the Second World War. They had lost everything and ended up living in the notoriously poor, homeless, and volatile neighborhood of Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. They lived there for five years, and Takai's parents struggled to get back on their feet. He attended uh, University of uh, California, Berkeley, to study architecture, but soon transferred to UCLA to get a Bachelor of Arts in Theater in 1960, and four years after that, graduate with a Master of Arts in Theater. He also studied acting in England, Japan, and even the Desolute Workshop in Hollywood, which is important for later. His career had started in the 50s doing voiceover work for Japanese monster films, and later had roles in multiple TV and films such as A Twilight Zone, Mission Impossible in the 60s. So we do see like a person very, very passionate about uh, arts and specifically acting. 
and the theater. And even though they they had a very troubling and an intense childhood and teen years, like he managed to somehow like overcome that and pursue his passion for sure. In 1965, producer Gene Roddenberry cast the K as Lieutenant Sulu in the TV series Star Trek, which proved to be his most famous character and work. Actually, Lucille Ball, known for her show I Love Lucy and the Desilu Workshop, she is, you know, a famous gay icon herself. She encouraged, supported, and helped Star Trek a start as a series because she truly believed so strongly in the project. So we would not have Star Trek if not for Lucille Ball, which I thought it was the most random trivia that I found in my research, but it works. Wait, was was Star Trek a Desilu production? A, she was one of the producers, and there were two pilot episodes, and she, yeah, she had to convince people to to buy the the, the series. I did not know this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is insane. Okay. So Star Trek became a cultural phenomenon. It helped influence social movements of the 60s by being more accepting and understanding of race, discrimination, ethics, warfare, and morality. Lieutenant Sulu, later promoted to captain, was a pivotal aspect of this pioneering storytelling. He represented all of Asia, a person, part of the leadership team. He was a hero. An Asian character was not a stereotype, someone that Asian people could relate to and look up to. Uh, Takei took upon himself to deliver this uh, love and respect of his audience by also becoming a staple of the sci-fi convention circuit and actively participating in activism. He once, uh, while still in the closet while the show was running, suggested to the creator of the show about addressing homosexuality in Star Trek, which, although the producer was willing, he was uh, restricted as he had just shown uh, a groundbreaking interracial kiss on the show. So he was like on a very tight leash to like keep the show going from the production company. Unfortunately, the, the, the show, the original series was shortly canceled after that, but even though, you know, people were willing to express that, it was just not quite ready to tackle that yeah. during that time. So the you spoke about the interracial kiss in there mm-hmm. and and the way they showed that African American and character in particular is the oh, reason right. yes, is the reason Whoopi Goldberg wanted to do the later series and mm-hmm. because she basically begged them to put her in the show and the producers asked her at one point like like you're a big star like why why is it important for you to be in here she's like you don't understand this was the first time african-americans were seen as something other than the maid yeah you know and lieutenant i think she was a lieutenant if i remember correctly uhura was a groundbreaking character just like sulu and even Chekhov being Russian descent during during the 60s. With the Cold War. With a, with, you know, it, it, it was very important for representation in a positive light. Right. Really, the show showed how in the future we had such potential for greatness if we all rallied together and we put, like, race and prejudice behind us. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. Years ago, I did read an interview of the actress that played Uhura, 
And she was asked asked by Martin uh, Luther King Jr. to continue in the role, like how he, he mentioned how important it was for the visibility. Right. Because she was presented again in, in the leadership team as a heroic female black woman. It was, it was incredible. No. So definitely a groundbreaking show for sure. And I did I did find this really good uh, quote by George Takei. He said, "Cultural icons help people define who they are today, because they shaped who they were as children." And you can't have like truer words than that. Absolutely, that's why these TV shows are important and visibility and representation is important. So moving along, his um, acting career included a lot of science fiction and space production. So he definitely found a niche market there for him. He was reintroduced to a new generation through his role in the superhero TV show Heroes in 2007. And he also created this uh, his legacy project, which is the musical Allegiance based on his experiences and research concerning the Japanese-American internment uh, camps during World War II. So it was a very challenging and dark subject for a musical, dealing with discrimination and such a noble subject matter. It did end up in Broadway, actually, in the... I think it was in the mid-2010s. So what... And I do think, like, even though the material is dark... Through song, you can really express more emotion than just dialogue. Definitely. Play. And then further on, in more in his like personal life, as a political reaction to the then California governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, vetoing same-sex marriage legislation in 2005, Takei decided to stand in solidarity with the disappointed and upset queer community members and publicly came out as gay and being in a long-term relationship with his partner, Brad Altman. They had been together for 18 years at that point, I At think. that point, yeah, yeah, it was 18 years. Uh, and he did say, it's not really coming out, which suggests opening a door and stepping through it's more like a long, long walk through what began as a narrow corridor and starts to widen. So it was definitely a political move. I was elated. I, I remember when he came out, I was, I, I, I was still in Greece and it was my last year before moving to the States. And I knew who he was and his importance and like, you know, the sci-fi world and all that. And for him coming at a more like advanced age too, that was important. It showed people uh, of his age that you know, no, no matter your no matter your age, you can still come out. And especially if you're a public figure, you inspire and you influence younger people, the younger generations, with your actions. Definitely, I thought it, like it was such a good time to to come out and like you said for public figures it was it was definitely a big decision and i'm glad he took the risk and helped kind of move it along which we aren't even to the point today where we need to be with actors being able to come out if they are gay but at least he has helped move the needle absolutely and where your career won't be devastated if you come out for sure and not every coming out has to be political but you know there are some Important ones, and, and for his was one of those. Yeah. I think that was truly eye-opening. Even though you know 
he his sexuality was an open secret since like uh, the seventies among his Star Trek fans because he had been an active member of LGBT groups like Frontrunners, the Human Rights Campaign, the Coming Out Project, and he even did an Equality Trek tour after he came out in two thousand six. So maybe it was a known secret or not. I definitely did not know. I was not aware. So I was very happy he did it. So he and yeah, his I think partner, it was like an open uh, secret among people that that went to more of the like sci-fi conventions that are like were more seeped in that that specific community. And of course, I think among his co-stars and stuff that he was yeah, still see, close he was, with. He was open in his yes. uh, private life, yeah, uh, for sure. Or yeah, I guess in his immediate environment. Yeah. So the casual fan probably was not aware, yes. like myself were. Yeah, and he and his partner became the very first same-sex couple in 2008 to apply for a marriage license in West Hollywood. I really like that. <laughs> and they got uh, married in the Japanese American National Museum in L.A., where Takei is so a founder and a trustee member. So again, we do see how his heritage plays so much into his life. In recent years, Takei has kept up uh, with the times, becoming very active in social media, such as Facebook and Twitter, discussing science fiction, LGBT culture, and politics. And I, I, re I really like that because uh, I, I really like someone from older generation having a voice in a medium that the younger generations right. really pay attention to and listen to. Another example is like Bette Midler. Yeah. My God, do I love her tweets. Well, like, <laughs> like well he's very good because he's very humorous mm -hmm. um, and usually not in a negative or an attack way. Mm -hmm. It's very just like humorous observations mm -hmm. or, or, or stuff that's happening in his life. Someone I feel who has done kind of a similar way of doing that most recently is Leslie Jordan. And I think they're both kind of good storytellers mm -hmm. and especially in those like short snippets. And so they have found this way to like use this medium and kind of a very good, unique way. And that has worked for them. So yeah, no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, he, he did say in Star Trek, we have this creed, infinite diversity and infinite combinations which I like that, and he's definitely an embodiment of that. And and I think that's why he truly matters as a queer icon. Right. Because he represents that diversity and the, the infinite possibilities that can come with it. Then a big part of his, I guess, public persona is his catchphrase, Oh My, which I had to look it up because I had no idea where it came from. But, you know, I... Always, when when I think of him, that catchphrase does really come in, in, into my head. So it was established at the Howard Stern radio show where he was a guest. And he was not aware how crude the show is. So he was like in the waiting room uh, with another person, another guest. And they were listening to the show and he had not realized that's the show. And he commented on, oh, my God, like, this is, like, how how crude or, like, crazy. He was like, well, that's the show that we're going to be on. <laughs> so, yeah, so when he, like, first appeared, Stern commented, oh, you have a deep voice. You may, you must have a big dong. <laughs> and Takei asked if they were on air, which Stern said yes. And then Takei goes, oh, my <laughs> 
And that became the like staple reaction to anything outrageous on, on that show. So it was the radio show that really boosted that. And has he milked it? Yes. Is oh, it worth every time? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I saw a clip during my research, which was just like cutscenes of every time George has said, oh my. And I was living. so I, I and, and it's it's part of like his voice. He has this very unique, deep, soothing voice, which is very polite and calm. And so this is a little bit of a personal story. When I was a server at a fine dining restaurant in Atlanta, I actually, you know, one night I did have a round table of guests and I was a little bit an autopilot, I remember, where I just kind of approached and greeted them. And I started taking everyone's drink orders. And I finally reached the person directly in front of me who was facing away from me. So his back was at me. So I couldn't really see them. And I was also holding my server book while I was writing all my, my orders and everything. So then he spoke. And it was that immediate ring in my head of familiarity. But I couldn't quite place it. So I was like, oh, okay. And I returned to the kitchen to put in their drinks, and my bartender came running uh, over to me, and she was completely nerding out. She's like, oh my god, you got that guy on your table! <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's who it was. That's that's the voice. And, you know, it's, it's, a recon- it's like George Freeman. Like It's just like such a, a recognizable Morgan Freeman, no, George Freeman. I just realized that it is, he has such a recognizable voice and it was one of those things where, I don't know, I know this voice, but I don't know this person. Anyway, I have done that. I, I used to work at a bank and I had some, some of the stars from like the Tyler Perry series Mm -hmm. come in and the same thing happened to me. They got in front of me. And, of course, they weren't in the full makeup that they would be in a movie or whatever. But I, I was like, I know these two people. I know them. Mm-hmm. I was like, but where do I know them from? And so half of me is going, should I be saying hello to them? Because, like, what? <laughs> like, am I being rude because I can't figure out who they are and I know them personally? Or is this? And, I, and like, it's just probably about halfway through the mm-hmm. transaction. I was like, oh, shit, I know who they are. And I, I was like, and... Yeah, no, it's because uh, I I've served a lot of celebrities, and you know most of the time it's actually really pleasant, really nice, you know, it's, it's whatever. But it was the fact that I I couldn't see him, right? But he has such a recognizable voice that it it, it kind of troubled me. Where I was like, where do, do I, I know this voice? No, no, do I know this person? And uh, yeah, and then you know I was returning to the table. His husband was there, and. A bunch of other people that, that were no longer of significance to me. <laughs> I mean, I still did my job perfectly. They were very, very happy. But I was completely starstruck. And even though I actually did not really watch Star Trek, it was his activism that I was truly starstruck about. And like him being like an inspirational figure. And what I did like is like his vo- with his voice, he commanded the conversations at the table. He was absolutely lovely. And in the end, even though my manager, she kept like pushing me to like ask for an autograph or a picture. I was like, you can do it because you're obviously annoying me so much <laughs> because you keep talking about him. 
But I was I was just way too too embarrassed. Now now I'll just cherish the memory of his voice. <laughs> That's uh, every time I've been given the opportunity to like ask a star for their their signature or anything. Mm-hmm. I have not or autograph. Mm-hmm. Let's use the right word. I have not actually because I mean kind of the same thing is I don't want to be that person that's like interrupting your daily life. The one I remember the most is I saw like Ashton Kutcher and he was with his daughter mm-hmm. and I was like this is the only time I'm ever going to have this opportunity. I still <laughs> let it go. But <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it, it depends on who the celebrity is. I mean, he was definitely like he was definitely an inspiration for me. I've had I've had a lot of celebrities, not many that I've really, I guess, that I've been starstruck with. Right. But I was just like, just do your job, just be cordial, respectful, and don't don't be invasive. Right. Like in the everyday. So I've never really had any negative interactions at all mm-hmm. with with uh, celebrities. Well except one. But I'm not gonna name him. <laughs> not today. He's already been dragged through the mud a lot. Okay. So, yeah. And that was before he was dragged to the mud. I was like, oh, I do not like you. <laughs> and then when, you know, he made it in publicly that he was not a, a good person, I was like, ah, But anyway, moving along. <laughs> Did he want you to call him by his name? No. Oh, okay. Not that. The only okay. clue that I can give is, like, he is sadly gay celebrity. Oh, okay. Like, very, very sadly. And anyway, moving along to uh, a person that we actually respect, as well as many other people, George Takei is highly decorated for his acting and humanitarian work. So, you know, it really does show that, you know, you put in the work, you put in the effort, like, wholeheartedly with, like, your passion, and you do get these acknowledgments. So he does have a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. He has the LGBT Humanist Award by the American Humanist Association, the Order of the Rising Sun, Gold Race with Rosette for his Japan and U.S. relations, which is probably the coolest title of an award I've ever heard, the Vito Russo Award from GLAAD for being a media professional who has made a significant difference in promoting equality for the LGBT community, and he also has an honorary doctorate for of Humane Letters by Cal State LA. And my personal favorite recognition of his is having Asteroid 7307 Takei named after him. So That's fun. Yes, yeah, it's like a <laughs> celestial body. I just absolutely love that and how appropriate for Sulu. So you had asked me to cover his political aspirations Mm -hmm. because I'm a political nut job. But really, (laughs) he didn't. It's not that he didn't aspire to much. He he wanted very much to be kind of locally a local representative. So all of his 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 when he ran for office, it was for local LA positions to either city council or stuff like that. He did not win. And most of the time it was partly because of, I'm guessing that it's a bigger deal kind of in the LA Mm -hmm. like community. And this definitely is a juxtaposition to kind of the national politics of president as we um, just witnessed is that like the local television stations took Star Trek off the air while he was running because they were concerned about running into laws of equal time. 
So even though he's not sitting there on the program speaking of his political standpoints, mm -hmm. it's, it's a fictional show. They took but the show off. Is getting screen, screen time. time, and so therefore, like oh. for equal time, they took Star Trek off the air and those local markets in order to to not do that. So I just thought that was very big. And then he ran a second time, and basically they threatened to do all of that again, and it was going to basically negatively impact his his career for acting and other um, things. And so he stepped out of it. And so that's kind of like the biggest thing to come out of it. And it's just very interesting that on a local level, that seems to be very much a concern, obviously. Yeah. But versus a national level, we have a celebrity run and nothing like that is a concern almost. I was. That's actually the thing that I was going to address coming from that because we, yeah. So. Yeah. We do have celebrities that frequently declare that they're running and they don't get their yeah screen time cut from media. <laughs> from anything else. Okay, that's, so, that's interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that just goes to show just the difference between kind of local politics and national politics and Got it. Yeah. the different reactions to the stars running. And in particular, like I said, it might be kind of a hypersensitive where they are because it is LA, you know, and Hollywood. But I thought that was interesting. Before we get to recommended viewings for George Takai, let's talk about like, why do you think he resonates with the gay community so much? I think he's definitely a representative of diversity, has gone through a lot uh, from a young age and he is is someone to be respected because in, in a way his government did fail him but he still continues on to love america live in america and obviously engaging in politics and activism he is doing his best for a better america so to me, that's extremely inspirational. As as a as a gay man and a, a gay celebrity, it's all about visibility and being able to see a gay man in any form of acting and media where he can play anything, so he can be given these opportunities. So I do I do love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I think you kind of like hit the nail on the head is there's two things of that I think we kind of appreciate is you you get your power through the work that you do or you get your fame through the work you do. And then he did he did come out later, but just use the way he has used his fame and attention has been, I think, truly does resonate with the the gay community of just keeping it, you know, like you're getting your power from somewhere else. And yet you are are you are trying to give it to the yeah. community in the best way you can. Yeah, and I think that is you're giving the platform iconic. and the recognition through your career. Right which is very well respected, but then you're using this fame and influence for positive things. Right. And not just in the gay community, but in the Asian community right. as well. Like, my, my God, do they do they need representation and, and support for... 
And I sure. think, yeah, and I think that's also showcases just kind of where where he is placed and kind of the the lexicon of America, which is, mm-hmm. and he landed in this kind of geekdom, if you will, mm-hmm. of Star Trek and the representation and comic books or in, and all this other stuff is is not probably where it should be and definitely was not in the time that he was coming up so it gave this this person to look up to for gay geeks and and asian americans in general and with the homosexual persuasion so i think that that is why he resonates with with kind of the queer community Mm-hmm. And it looks like you have some recommendations to get to know George a little better. Yes. As, as I mentioned earlier, definitely check out on YouTube his TED Talk speeches. They're very, very moving. He discusses his childhood, the, the camps, his relationship with his father, and also Japanese Americans being Americans. I don't... Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. Just... Just watch it. It's extremely moving and important. And it's not very long. They're, yeah, it's the about are, like 15 minutes. Yeah, the talks are short. And again, his voice is so commanding and soothing. It's ridiculous. Also, To Be Takei, the documentary, very, very good. Highly recommend that. And of course, watch uh, Star Trek. The movies, the TV show, I think they are important. Not just because of him, but... Because of everything that they encompass. Definitely. Yeah. I hope you guys have enjoyed our coverage of George Takei. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe as always. And you can email us at Queer Icons Podcast, all one word, Queer Icons Podcast at gmail.com. Please um, send us in some questions or if you guys have any interesting tidbits about anybody we've covered, it would be great to just hear some new information. Excellent. I'm going to close out this episode with one of his quotes. Each of us bears a responsibility to reject hate, whatever its form, whatever its justification.